Good morning, Living Water. That's not good enough. Good morning. How are you doing? Good deal. It's good to be in God's house. You know what's crazy to me? Um, I, I didn't get to watch the game yesterday, but what's crazy? Um, I saw some pictures this morning. This stadium, an open-air stadium up in Kansas. You might call it Arrowhead Stadium. And it was filled. I don't think it was full, but it was full of people who came to watch a game. And I, was, I think it was like minus four. The chill factor was like minus 24 at one point in the game. And they're all bundled up. They had smiles on their face. It was crazy. They were there to cheer on. I, I call that like crazy devoted fans, wouldn't you? But there, and they were happy to be there. I thought if anybody should be happy to be somewhere, it'd be the church. Amen? Because not just one game every once in a while that we're worried about winning or losing, but we read the back of the book. We're on the winning team. Amen? So church, you need to know that it's good to be in God's house. And you can smile in God's house. You can clap your hands in God's house. It's okay. Amen? There you go. That's good. That helps. It's good to be here today. Now, I won't, you know, draw the parallel of like why we come to church when they will. I'm like, because some people, they woke up, their water was frozen, some, their car wouldn't start. So I get it, and I'm not judging. I'm just saying, man, that's crazy. What would it look like if the church was that vigorous and excited to get to come to church? There's, there's places on the planet where people walk for miles just to go to church, and they're excited to be there. And so I hope we don't take it for granted. It is good to be in God's house, to be among brothers and sisters, to worship God, to open his word, and to learn from it. Amen. So Mark chapter 5, I want to start a new series today called Encounters with Jesus. I've been kind of kicking this around for a while. And, you know, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, turns out he met a lot of people. Some of them that he would uh, approach, some would approach him, but Jesus encountered a lot of people um, in many different walks of life, and it got me to thinking as he made these encounters, he changed a lot of lives. What if Jesus were walking on the earth today? What if he was in good old Canyon, Texas? I got a couple of questions. This is how my ADHD mind works. Where would Jesus go to church? Would he go to church? Would he be on a street corner? Would he be in a house? I don't know. Where would Jesus go to church? Ooh, here's one for you. Would Jesus vote Republican or Democrat? You don't have to answer that question, but these are the questions that come to my mind when I think, what if Jesus were here today? Which circles would he hang out with? What kind of people would Jesus be around all the time? I ask those questions because I think our problem today, and it's not intentional, but we all grew up in the States. We see things through a Western filter, our, our culture, our experiences, our ideas. We've learned in church, and we're trying to learn a Jewish story with a Western filter on and if we're not careful, we can kind of paint Jesus into a box. We can put these barriers, these roadblocks up around Jesus, what we think Jesus is like, who we think Jesus would hang out with, who we think Jesus would vote for, and what kind of a church we think Jesus would attend. And the problem with that is, is we start to put these barriers around Jesus, and we can look totally different than what Jesus himself did um, as he walked on this earth 2,000 plus years ago, we approached people like this. Like, Jesus wouldn't hang out with those people. Oh, Jesus would not go near that person, right? Or we see somebody who's made a mistake in life, and maybe they're, they're going through it, and we're like, well, you made your bed, sleep in it, you know? 
that's kind of the way we approach some things. And if we're not careful, it can diminish our ministry to other people. Here's what we see when we look at the ministry of Jesus. And this is cool. Is we see Jesus supersedes all barriers. He, he just goes past them. He supersedes all barriers, whether it's moral, social, or religious behavior. He met a lot of people. And so what I want to do today, just as we kick off this series, um, I, if you heard the phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees? I, yes, I, it's a very common one, right? You can't see the forest for the trees. And the idea is you can get so close to something that you can miss other details because you're like right there amongst the trees. And so sometimes, sometimes it's good to just zoom out or take that 30,000 uh, uh, foot view of Scripture and look at it from a, a bigger perspective, right? And that's what I want to do today collectively. I'm going to read a lot of verses, but I want to look at just the entirety of chapter 5 in Mark because I think it shows us kind of the, 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 the breadth of the ministry, the influence, the impact of Jesus and the encounters that he made. And, and there's a few observations along the way uh, that I want to point out for us. So um, can we just pray real quick and I'll kick off reading it and we'll, we'll be in 521, Mark 521. Father, we ask that right now you would just bless our time as we've gathered here. We want to know you more. Jesus, we want to know you more. We don't want to come to church with our minds made up about who you are and completely miss the mark. Lord, we want to know you more. And so I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would just uh, soften our hearts and give us a fresh perspective of who you are and what that what, what impact that has in our lives today. Lord, I humble myself before you. I, I know that I don't have it all figured out. I just ask that you would use me to communicate to your people that you love, I love, and we ask that it would be done for your glory, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this bird's eye view, I want to jump in at verse 21. <clears throat> I'm going to go back and talk about the, the entire chapter, but just for the sake of time, um, read with me. When you're there, say there. Okay, for the three of you, let's go. Jesus got into a boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding along the way, around the way, around him. A woman, oh, let, me, let me stop here, I, didn't, I meant to do this at the beginning. Mark's writing style, um, some people call it like his sandwich stories. Um, and, and if you'll read Mark, you'll notice that Mark will, maybe he had ADHD, I don't know. But he would start a story and he would interrupt that story and then he would go back to the original story. The sandwich kind of approach, right? And so in all of these cases, the middle story is kind of the focus of what Mark wants us to get. So Jesus, the story is, is going with Jairus because Jairus' daughter is about to die. So on the way, it says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had only gotten or she had not gotten better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? 
But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering, your suffering is over. He gets back to the other story. While they were still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd that was there laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples, six of them, in the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them, to give her something to eat. Pretty cool story already, right? So as I said, from a 30,000 foot view, here's what I want us to see. Jesus encounters, from my count, five different people or circumstances, situations in chapter five. To go back to verse one, Jesus, this is right after, you remember Jesus calms the storm. The disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. A storm comes up. Jesus says, peace, be still. The storm ceases. They're amazed. They land on what would be the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And what some of your translations will say, the Decapolis, which just simply means like 10 towns that are incorporated. This area, the Gergesenes, or there's different translations of what that is, but it's the Gentile territory. And Jesus lands there, and as soon as he lands, the text tells us that this man who is demon-possessed and who lives in a cemetery among the tombs notices Jesus. He comes down like, what are you here for, son of man? Jesus casts the demon out, and he asks him what his name. What is your name? He says, legion, for there are many demons inside this man. We are many. So they begged him not to send him, them away, but to, in fact, send them into the pigs, and so it says there happened to be these large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and so let us enter in those pigs. Jesus sends them to the pigs, 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Everybody's freaking out, and like, Jesus, you gotta, you gotta leave this place. The man that was healed of the demon possession comes to Jesus, like, I wanna follow you. You just delivered me from demon possession. Jesus, I wanna go where you're going. Jesus said, no, no, stay where you're at and go tell everyone what God has done for you and how merciful he has been. And so it tells us that this man started off to visit those 10 towns of that region, and he began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. And what he told him. Why? Because he was a sane man now who had been delivered of the demons and healed by Jesus. He had a pretty powerful encounter with Jesus. Notice this. It says Jesus got into the boat again. Now here's my first observation. I think it's really cool and it just ministers to me. Jesus gets in the boat, goes to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, heals one man, gets back into the boat and goes to the other side again. Do you catch it? Jesus went 180 degrees in the opposite direction for one person. 
I love that. It reminds me of like he chases me down. He leaves the 99, the reckless love of God, that shepherd who will leave the 99 and go after the one. That's a beautiful picture just in the first part of chapter 5, but there are others that he encounters. It says when he gets out of the boat on the west side, the northwest side, there he's back in Jewish territory, Israeli land, and he's met with this man named Jairus. Now, Jairus was a man of significance, of import. In fact, I get a graphic. Will you put it up for me real quick? This is the people uh, that would have been walking around in Israel in Jesus' day. You have the elites. This is like Herod, the Herodian dynasty. I mean, like the top. They're under Roman authority, but they're like in charge. And Jesus would later at his crucifixion, his trial, he would, he would communicate with some of these people. And he was comfortable in that arena of, of people, if you will. And then there's the, the retainer class. The, re, the retainer class is like these who are like estate managers, prison guards, tax collectors, the temple leadership, and all of these. But notice the biggest portion of the people there would be like peasants. They, they had some land, they're farmers, but they were pretty much subject to those that wanted to tax them to oblivion. This is the largest number of people. And then lastly, we have those who were considered uh, the poor, landless slaves, uh, the broken. Now, one might ask, where did Jesus rank, rank in this uh, echelon of people? Where would Jesus be at? Well, some say because Jesus didn't own any land. He was unmarried. He was without an active trade and without a permanent home. We would have to say that it's in the lower portion of the third area um, is where Jesus probably fits there. Now, I bring that up because I want you to see that when Jesus has encounters with people, he has encounters with many people from all walks of life. There are people that are the who's who's. Jairus would be one of those guys that would come to Jesus and ask him for his help. There are the poor around Jesus. It reminds you of when Jesus stood up and he opens the scroll um, and, he, and he opens it to Isaiah 61. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He closes a scroll and he says, what you just heard has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Jesus was letting us know what his purpose was. I came to set the captive free. I came to give sight to the blind. I came for the poor. Amen? So this is Jesus, and Jesus is comfortable in all of these levels as he approaches or as they have encounters. And so Jairus is here, and he's got a problem. His daughter, Luke tells us it's his only daughter, goes on to tell us that she's age 12. And I don't know if there's a parallel there because the woman that's going to interrupt the story has an issue of blood for 12 years, but that's one of those digging deeps. i got to get back up at 30,000 view, right? So he has this daughter who is almost dying, comes to Jesus, and he said, listen, I've heard that you're the healer. All the news about Jesus is getting out, and uh, I'm coming to you because I need your help. Please come, lay hands on her, heal her so she can live. live." Um, And Jesus was willing to go with Jairus. So Jesus is on the road, and Jairus is with him, and there are people that are going to Jairus' house because we got an emergency on our hands. we got a little girl that's almost dying. Now, I know how I would be as a father. This is urgent. And I need you guys to just mind your own business. We're on a mission, and we got to get to my daughter. i got to get Jesus there while there's still time. Are you following me? Then we see the interruption in Mark's story. He interrupts the story, a very important journey that Jesus is on, with a story of another woman who, in contrast to this very powerful Jairus in a very big position, poor, 
disregarded, cast out because of her sickness that she had suffered for 12 long years. This is a woman in the crowd that suffered 12 years with a constant bleeding, and she had suffered a great deal from many doctors. I can just see just the dis- dis- discouragement from all the things that she's tried to fix this issue. And it says that she, over the years she spent everything that she had to pay them, and instead of getting better, she actually got worse, and she heard about Jesus. Jesus is near, and if I could just get to Jesus, I know that he will heal me. And so the story goes that they're walking, it's crowded. And this woman breaks a lot of rules, if you will, boundaries in her day, in her culture, because a woman wouldn't talk to another man, let alone touch another man, and yet she is desperate. She's done everything else that she knows to do, and she's like, if I can just get to Jesus. And if you want to know just what that risk was like, just read Leviticus 15, because Leviticus 15 spells out pretty clearly what it was like for a woman in her condition. Like there's the monthly menstrual cycle, and then there's like, if you have constantly, here's, here, you're unclean, you're ceremonially unclean. And so anything you sit on is unclean, anything that you wear is unclean, anybody that you touch is unclean. And so she was risky and getting in the midst of all these people and trying to make her way to Jesus. In this moment, she was breaking all of those rules. She would have been like a leper, like, stay away from me, I'm unclean. And yet we find her in the middle of the crowd. If I can just get to Jesus, he'll heal me. She does, he does. I love that because another one of those observations I make is Jesus is interruptible. And Jesus on a mission, he took the time, stopped, hear, see her need, and he, he ministered to her. So it says while he was still speaking, the messengers show up, and it's like, hey, bad news. We delayed a little too long. Jairus, your daughter is dead. And they said, don't bother the teacher or the master any longer. She's already gone. And Jesus says, hey, don't, don't buy into that. Just believe, Jairus. Just believe. Have faith and believe. So they get there, and he sends everybody, uh, the crowd that was with him, away. Just takes a few of them. And he gets there and he asks a natural question, like, why, why is all this commotion and weeping? Well, duh, there's a child that just died. And so they would hire professional mourners and wailers there. It was a big deal that, that Jesus walked up to, and he asked them what it was. And he says, the child isn't dead, she's only asleep. Well, sleep was a metaphor for dead, but the crowd there just laughed at him. And I love this. Jesus, undeterred, would not be moved off of his mission. He made them all leave. He's like, you know what? Get out of here with that stuff. Get out of here. He took the girl's father and the mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum. It's inter- I can't go there. It's interesting that he uses an Aramaic word when this was translated into Greek only here. And there's some pretty cool things to dig into if you want to. But again, we're at 30,000 foot. Little girl, get up. The girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and she was healed. That's all in chapter 5. So five encounters, you got the demon-possessed man, you've got Jairus, you've got the woman with the issue of blood, you've got the crowd, and you've got the little girl, all had this encounter with Jesus. And here's one of the observations that I, I want to make. Again, through our Western eyes, we don't see the significance of Jesus' reach, the, the barriers that he supersedes, because as a Jewish righteous man, Jesus knew that there were certain things you didn't do. There were laws. There were ceremonial laws. Jesus, you'll be unclean if you do that. Jesus, don't go there. That's morally not acceptable. 
Jesus would supersede all of these barriers, and this is what we see. So in the first story of the pigs, I mean, the Jewish and the pig people, they didn't want to get near those, right? A demon-possessed man that lived among the dead in the tombs, and for Jesus, the teacher is a Jewish person in Gentile territory. From a Jewish perspective, you're like, Jesus is in trouble, man. He's going where Jews shouldn't go, and those things are unclean. And Jesus is going to be unclean because of that. Aren't you grateful that Jesus was willing to risk it? To deliver a man of demon possession? The significance, as I said a moment ago, that he would go 180 degrees in the opposite direction just for one man. And he demonstrated his power. Some said that that particular area, they worshipped Zeus, the god of Zeus. And he was supposed to be a supreme god. And that's why the pigs were there. That was for the sacrifice. And Jesus, in freeing this demon-possessed man, was demonstrated that he was the supreme power. And the supreme god in their land wasn't so supreme after all. Well, then we get to Jairus. Jairus is a man of significance, contrasted with a woman of the issue of blood. Not only was she breaking some rules and boundaries, Jesus, as a good Jewish man, was compromised, if you want to look at it from that perspective, to be in the presence of a woman who was unclean. And so everybody else, for that matter, around would have been uh, subject to that religious rule or that ceremonial law, ceremonial law that whoever touches you is unclean. She violated the boundaries. Jesus himself was at risk, if you want to look at it from that perspective. In fact, in their temple, they had this one uh, ritual bath ceremony. Uh, it was called a mikveh, I think. And it was just like this freshwater pool that they would ceremonially, if they were unclean, they would go there and they would wash in this pool and they would be declared now, according to the religious law, ceremonially clean. It's interesting because their system and, and, and their religious rule was that it never went the other way around. It's like the clean can be considered unclean if they come into contact with something's unclean. But never did they have anything in their system to say that the clean could possibly make somebody who's unclean clean. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, approached by this unclean woman, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, Jesus cleanses her of 12 years of suffering. That's pretty significant, isn't it? She was desperate. She had faith. But Jesus knew. The crowds, I love this, because I wonder sometimes if we were to say, hey, we're going to go to the hospital and we're going to visit somebody who's like in really bad shape and we're going to pray for them. And the crowds, that's a laugh, like, you're going to do what? You know that don't work. How many of you know that would be a little intimidating, right? I'm going to go in and I'm declaring my faith. I'm trusting in God. I'm going to pray for this person. And I got somebody outside going, you know what? That'll never work. Prayer don't work. I tried it. It don't work. You're crazy for believing that. It would be intimidating. I love that Jesus himself was not swayed. He was undeterred. He went past the naysayers and he did what he did. And you got to look at Jairus's daughter. Jairus's daughter was dead. Now this Jewish man is in the presence of this dead girl and it says he took her hand. Unclean, Jesus, you're unclean. Jesus is unclean. He touches her hand. He raises her to life. And the significance of all of this for me is we look at like a bird's eye view is I get a different impression of Jesus in the scriptures as I read it than what sometimes we have developed in our own brains. Don't we? Are, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? There, there are these rules, these expectations, boundaries, bearish boxes that are set up, and Jesus is blowing through all of them. I think sometimes we as believers can put Jesus in a box. We do it in church. 
we focus on just that that goes on here. And the Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that, that we, we trust in for salvation, is a totally different Jesus. He just blows by all of those barriers, and I think that's significant. And here's a few of the observations I want to share. Jesus was accessible. Aren't you glad he was accessible? In other words, he didn't do ministry from a build a cave somewhere, you know, and send out the disciples to do the work. Jesus was amongst the people all the time. In fact, it said he must needs go through Samaria, King James language, but it means like he had to go to Samaria. Why? There was a woman at the well that needed to meet Jesus. And she was considered kind of a shady character type of lady, but Jesus had to go there. I'm glad that he was out there amongst the people. He was accessible. He was, inter- he was interruptible, meaning that Jesus was doing ministry and just life happens. And one time he approaches someone, another time somebody approaches him, and Jesus is willing to be interrupted. And this is significant to me because sometimes I think that we make up in our mind, God is way too busy for my life. The things that I'm dealing with are so petty, I don't want to bother him with that. Can I just tell you that Jesus is interruptible? That wherever we're at, whatever we're going through, we can say, God, I know you're busy, but I got a problem. Aren't you grateful that he's interruptible? He's amiable, meaning he's friendly or he's sociable. In every group, every echelon of people, Jesus is able to show kindness, to show benevolence to. He's able to communicate with them. With the exception of, I should point this out, there were those that had an encounter with Christ that weren't impacted, those that had the hard hearts. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, Jesus would approach them. They would encounter one another, and they would leave unchanged. And that just shows me the power of your choice and my choice. And that's why we say the most important thing you can do is to place your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we have this encounter, and we respond to that encounter. There are a lot of them in Scripture, and many of them, their lives were absolutely rocked. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just have a certain group of people that he would go around and others that he would avoid. This is important because I think in our day and age, we tend to do that. I know Jesus loves them, but let him send somebody else because they're scaring me a little bit. Right? Jesus was amiable. He's friendly. He's sociable. He would just be among the people, and he treated everybody with respect, with love, and with grace. He was benevolent, desiring to help others. He was charitable. We see this throughout his ministry. He was always healing. He's always blessing people. Um, he was resolute. He was not swayed by the naysayers. He was undeterred on his mission. I'm thankful that he didn't let a few naysayers and a few laughers keep him from the miracle of raising Jairus' daughter back from the dead. And he was fearless. And I love this one because he was unconcerned with his own safety becoming unclean. He was unconcerned with that. Like, I came to set the captive free. I came to restore sight to the blind. I came, you're going to have to get dirty to do this, Jesus. And in Jesus' culture and in his religion, there were certain things that he was not supposed to do. But we wouldn't have these stories if Jesus would have stayed within the boundaries that were put on him. Jesus supersedes all of those barriers. He's like moral, religious, I'll do anything to get to that lost soul. That's encouraging to me to see Jesus working that way. So, so what, Shane? What's the, yes, we get it. Shane, or, Jesus was doing all kinds of great things. A lot of people from different walks of life and some were dirty and Jesus was risking it. He was fearless. I get all that. What does this mean to me? Here's the deal. Jesus is not physically walking on the earth today, but he's still very much at work. And the ministry of Jesus is still at work. 
And there are people every day that he still wants to have an encounter with. Are you following me? He's the same. He's not changed. He's like, he just went to heaven and said, I'm going to leave this role to you. You're my hands and my feet. You're the ambassadors for Christ. And so just like Jesus was willing to get out of his comfort zone and minister to those who need it the most, his people are commissioned to go do the same. That's pretty intimidating, right? Well, Jesus walked on water. I ain't Jesus. (laughs) That's what we say. He's like, Jesus moved it all out of the way in order to reach people. And I think he still wants to encounter people. And, and, and you may be the only Jesus that somebody else knows. I may not meet them ever as a pastor. Pastor, I got this neighbor. I need you to come talk to him about Jesus. Like, you talk to him. I may never meet. I don't know him. You, you're their neighbor. God put you there. He didn't move me there. I got my own neighbors. But God wants to use us to turn this world upside down for the kingdom. Amen? And so what we do sometimes, we put these barriers, these bottles, I can't do that. Well, one time, I won't go into detail, I had a staff member who was, we had a a graduation party, after school graduation party, and there was going to be beer in the backyard. We can't go. We can't do that. Why not? Well, there's beer there. So, you going to drink it? No. Then what's the big deal? I think Jesus would have hung out. So we had this discussion, and we kind of worked through it. I'm like, had some great times. Hanging around, it's really funny hanging around people who drink a little bit too much. I wouldn't encourage it, but they get a little goofy. I'm like, I'm not drinking it. I'm just enjoying the show. We put these boundaries like, can't do that. Can't hang out with them. And and there's always the the caveats to all of these things. But the idea is, who am I to put these boundaries where Jesus never put the boundaries in the first place? Right? Right? Or he's willing to go outside of what the expectation was in his day to reach people. And I think that we should have the same attitude that Christ had. He humbled himself and he was used in a mighty way to bring many people to the kingdom. There's this a portion of a poem that I think it was St. Teresa of Avila. She says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. The idea is that the church is an extension of his body. And he still wants to encounter people. And Jesus encountered many people from many different walks of life. He didn't allow certain expectations to keep him from his mission. And I guess my point today is, neither should we. I think there are times we probably need to counsel, like, man, it might be wise to let that person go, whatever. I'm not saying to just be blindly, like, doing crazy stuff. But I think we got a long way to go to get there as a church. I think sometimes we're way too comfortable with our Jesus, the Jesus in our box, right? Jesus would only approach people like me, obviously, because I'm great. He wouldn't hang out with them. Do, do, you, do you see it, the big picture? Jesus has many, somebody said like 40 encounters just in the gospel. Three and a half years of ministry, Jesus made a lot of impact And in order to do that, he had to break a few rules. I'm not suggesting that we break law, break rules, but we all have these expectations. Sometimes we let religion get in the way of what God wants us to do. And I'm just making the case that maybe, maybe we emulate our leader, Jesus. And like Jesus, we're like, you know, I'm willing to put myself at risk 
that person's dirty or they have AIDS or they got some sickness and I'm worried about that. I'm just trust him that, God, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to be your hands and your feet and I'm going to let you encounter them through me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm talking to just me. But that's what I see in this overview as we look at the encounters of Jesus. I know that I'm grateful because if you consider it, all of us were outside of that rules of who he came for in the first place. You know, he came to the Jews, the lost sheep of Israel. And it's because of the rejection of them that he turned the gospel to the Gentiles. That's you. That's me. Aren't you grateful that he extended the gospel to the outsiders? Us? I am. It brings more depth to the song that we sing. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God. It chases me down. Fights till I'm found. Leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. And I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Are you grateful for God's love? I, I would hope that we would just say, God, if I've got these expectations built up in my mind, maybe we learned it in church, maybe we kind of came to it on our own, zooming out and looking at things from a bigger picture, just seeing, wow, of all the places that I would expect Jesus wouldn't go, he went there. And he made a great impact in the lives of those people. I'm sure they're grateful. And I just wonder if sometimes we get so um, tight-focused in our lives that we see, you know, God's got a plan for me, but I ain't got time for this stuff. Can I be interruptible like Jesus was interruptible? Can I be accessible like Jesus was accessible? Can I be amiable? Can I be courteous and kind to everybody and anybody that I come into contact with because I'm an ambassador for Christ and you are as well. Amen? That our world would be turned upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got news for you. We're not going to be here much longer. I'm not talking about church. We're fixing to let out and that's true, but I'm talking on a bigger scale. This world that we live in, it's just temporary. Temporary. And one day we will be in the presence of our Savior. And what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Amen? And I'm sure that he still wants people to join that group of people that will be brought to him on that day. And so just something for us to chew on and consider as we kick off this series. Father, I thank you for your encounter in my life and how you came to me and the impact you've had in my life. And I know that everybody has their own story. And I thank you for the stories that we read in Scripture today, how, Jesus, you were willing to put yourself at risk and become unclean so that you could rescue, that you could deliver, that you could heal and resurrect people. God, I'm thankful that you're not deterred um, or distracted away from the mission that you had and that you set for us a vision that, that uh, maybe not to the, the length that you went or to the level that you went to, but God, that just helps us to look outside of our own comfort zone and our own box and see the people that you bring into our presence. Those are encounters. And Lord, if we are your hands and your feet, then by extension, they can still have an encounter with you through us. And so I just simply ask that you'll help us not allow uh, the, the barriers, the boundaries that other people or even religion can put around us if we know that this is your mission and we know that you're calling us to it. So God, would you give us wisdom in that? Lord, there are certain times it's going to be dangerous, and, I, and I'm not advocating that. Uh, there are certain areas we need to stay away from. But God, I pray that you give us wisdom and as a whole, just be willing, Lord, to do whatever, wherever.
with whomever, just so that they could know you as well. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for, Lord, the, the, the forgiveness that you offer to us. You made us clean by way of the gospel, the cross. And Lord, I pray that if there be anyone here today that has not placed their faith in the gospel, that today would be the day that they, they recognize that encounter. Right here, right now, you're knocking, and you're knocking on the door. And that they would respond to your encounter in a way that would just receive that good news, trust in you for salvation. Lord, and their lives would be turned upside down, just like we've seen over and over and over and over in Scripture. Father, we ask that you just be glorified, Lord, in our lives, that we would leave here today. I know it's cold, we got our things going on, but we would just let this kind of bounce around in our heads and our hearts, that we would be mindful of every connection that we have. Some that we consider as like coincidental that might just be a, a God appointment. I pray that we would be sensitive to that and we would just be your hands and your feet. Father, we ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.